Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Trent just got back from uh, a really cool hunting trip in Alaska with his daughter and a buddy and a kid. And you think you told me this morning you got home at 4 a.m. and then yeah. kind of hit the ground running, right? So yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, we certainly appreciate you taking the time, and uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you so far. Uh, you know, before the uh, before we do the show and stuff. Um, so first of all, I guess what I'd like to do is welcome you to Spike Camp. Spike Camp's a new fairly new initiative platform that uh, Blake and I started back in April concept being, you know, um, a safe place for hunters to share resources, promote conservation and just, you know, just be, just be hunters hanging out, having a good time. That's what it's all about. So we've started this series, uh, a couple different series on different species. This one is elk camp completely uh, focused on elk hunting and what we've done, you're the uh, you're the third and final um, sort of grand finale for us for our elk elk hunting series, and so uh, you know we want to we want to start off with uh, an introduction, I guess, on your part. I think I can I think it's safe to say if you've watched elk hunting on YouTube, then you probably are familiar with Born and Raised Outdoors. And if you're familiar with Born and Raised Outdoors, you're very familiar with Trent Fisher because he's one of the main <laughs> characters and super fun guy to watch so maybe if you could just give us a little background uh you know about uh, yourself and how you got into hunting we'll start with that and in particular how'd you get into elk hunting so if you maybe give us a little background on that trend yeah absolutely thanks chuck i appreciate it buddy um no it's a pleasure to be here for one guys i really really appreciate the invite um sometimes i think we take for granted all the experiences that we've had in life you know and and in the woods and everything and it's 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 so much fun now to kind of relive a lot of that stuff but we started uh in, in 2007 we started um just a brief background of we always had watched like primos and the elk hunting stuff and and um we have here as you guys do that you were talking to me about earlier as you know we have roosevelt's here that's what we have in our backyard and nobody really successfully really filmed roosevelt's larry d jones was doing a little bit of stuff with them um and will primos did a little tiny bit with roosevelt so we thought well man this is our niche let's try to you know it's in our backyard let's try to see what we can do here so with uh, my brother taking out a school loan and buying a camera we uh we bought a we bought a video camera and a canon gl2 like now they're dinosaur obsolete i think they're in museums now but uh we bought a camera and and we went about it and that first year it was just to just to try to document our hunts and we all had full-time jobs and um so it was always every night and every weekend all season long from the first to the end of the weekend to the end of the season we would hunt and um film some great footage but we realized the difficulties and how hard it was and we did make a dvd it was unbelievable we called it tagged out because it was the last three days and we killed four bulls in three days it was unreal wow. we hadn't we never killed a bull before that so so that was kind of our jump start and so then we started in the dvd mode and said you know that's 
because that's that's where it's at, right? DVD. That's where know? that was. That was the big ticket back then, right? Yeah, we were just out of the VHS, you know. So, <laughs> so, so. Anyway, yeah. so we did the DVD thing for quite a few years, and our goal then was to make enough money so we take these DVDs to sports shows, like. Um, like the Roseburg sports show or all the sports shows around. And then we would sell, pedal the DVDs and then also sell them in archery shops as well. And our goal was to pay for our hunts in September, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, it started becoming pretty successful and we started getting better and better at, at uh, making these things and, and producing them and at hunting as well. I mean, that was the big, the big thing we learned a lot along the way. And so anyway, to fast forward to, the digital space and to YouTube, man, if we did have a guy on our first DVD, I will say this real quick on our very first DVD, we had a guy tell us, man, you guys should look into putting this on YouTube. And we're like, no, that is what's just, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it exactly. was a thing. I mean, there was just cat videos and stuff like that back then, you know, but if we would have <laughs> got in off that ground floor, it, it would have been unbelievable. But we obviously didn't take his advice, and, uh, and it wasn't until years later that we finally, uh, Hush and actually uh, good friends of ours, they went into the space of YouTube, and mm-hmm. because television, we did we did a stint with television. We did two years with the Outdoor Channel and Sportsman's Channel, and um, it was just so much uh you couldn't there's so much you couldn't do you know you couldn't show mm-hmm. blood on the animal's face you couldn't so you yeah. had to go in before you got to recover the animal you had to doctor it all up and then dress you had to it go up back. Yeah. yeah and then you had to go back and act like oh look at we found it and it was just it was so fake for us it, and that's if you watch any stuff we don't fake anything it's even if it's bad as far as like it's it's if we're balling if we're uh whatever it may be we we show it the real thing so so yeah and um anyway so we just went straight to youtube after that and it just we we started with this um we had this plan this big big goal of doing this thing called land of the free and um that was going to be a day-by-day elk hunt to show every single day and so i i did the stint of it as far as cody cody did as well but i did it from start to finish and it was 53 days straight and it was five different states and it was 10 days in each state and um elk hunting with a bow and calling elk and um it was pretty amazing what that did um we ended up shooting 13 bulls that year and um it, it, it we got back from that and um we were going to do a video starting so we had a week and a half off after we got back from that in october 15th somewhere around there and then we jumped directly straight into editing and we did a video every day all the way through christmas and um so that kind of catapulted us it just from there it just kind of exploded honestly like out of our control we couldn't you know it was just like it just it just elevated the the whole program and everything and so uh, unbelievable and and i wish i would have started our call company back then as well you know you see all these things sure. after, afterwards yeah, you know exactly and um so anyway and then now we uh we've started a call company we've done a number of i think we have five land of the freeze we don't do the day by day anymore it's weird how people get accustomed to things and then there's trends that kind of fall out and you know mm-hmm. so now we're going back to the more well-produced um well-polished videos hunting videos and um mm-hmm. and going from there so that's just a brief back background we've done a lot of elk hunting in our in our past we've done we've done a lot of it and and um it's uh it's our it's our passion for sure 
Oh yeah. You know, you, you referenced the uh, land of the free stuff. And I think that, you know, I, I was familiar with you guys before that and not a big TV guy. So, you know, don't even really watch cable at all anymore. But uh, I remember um, that original series of land of the free and man, it was addicting. Like uh, we were waiting. I was waiting every day. My wife got totally tired of hearing that you know that startup music you know yeah. the the song or whatever the launch song yeah uh, so like she knew exactly what the next hour and a half was going to be about right so um it was great and i think that's you know it's a different twist you know you see some of the other uh, some of the other uh, youtube channels that are dedicated to hunting and elk hunting and you know i think a lot of them have tried to model possibly model after what you guys did keeping it yeah as raw and as uncut and as real and i think the the one thing that, that i personally like a lot about that the whole born and raised program is how much fun you guys have i mean you guys just crack it up i mean it's yeah. it's that's what hunting should be about is just get out there get after it have a good time and you know bug your buddies tease them back and forth i mean that's that's really what you guys are all about i mean it's it's, it is you know, don't it's a comedy show with hunting in it half the time and that's what we love right it's really yeah cool. so, no so and and, and these i think these things are kind of cool because you can hear the behind the scenes side of things as people might be interested in that that video or that music that you said you know it was uh artist called anime is what it was the song was um anyway that the first of that we got her permission to use all that music and everything and to show that on YouTube, got her signature, got all that. She, mm -hmm. she pulled that from us after we launched the whole thing. And so we don't make a dime <laughs> off of, I don't know how many millions it's got tens of, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how yeah. many millions of views now on that. Sure. And we, we never made a dime off of it. Well, that's, that's how it goes sometimes. Those are the things you learn along the way, right? Correct. Yeah. Just interesting, you know, kind of things. So. Uh, it's an so, awesome yeah. story. Yeah. Awesome story. And then I know, uh, I don't know the timeline, but I know that you guys at some point, everybody said, Hey, we're going all in and you quit your jobs and just went full force. Right. Like we did. That's, yeah. That in itself, big commitment. It's huge, man. And I think anything in life, like you got to take the risk to get the reward and, and um, it makes it that much more rewarding in the end. And so we had a plan. We, uh, we went to ATA, Archery Trade Association, and we had this plan to pitch to all these sponsors. And so we had a whole deck all media deck all built up with these numbers that we thought we were going to hopefully hit, you know? And so when we pitched all these sponsors and it was unbelievable, I'll, I'll tell you just because of the, the people that we pitched, every single one of them said yes for one. And, and that's how we started. Not one person, not one, not one group that we went to said no. And um, which was very humbling. And um, so, and that's how, and then that next, you know, that, that next little segment was us are quitting our jobs and going in full time and, and just, mm -hmm. I mean, just hoping, you know? Yeah. Well, well done. Congratulations. It's a great story. And um, you guys have done, you know, you've done, I think it's Blake said to me when we were um, launching uh, spike camp, you know, he's, he's got a background in the digital media space and he made a comment to me, which is pretty profound for a 26 or seven year old kid to say, you know, he said, you know, it's very, it's very um, difficult to start a community, especially in the online world. And this would apply to YouTube. Like it's very difficult to start. It takes a lot of work, but boy, is it ever easy to destroy it? 
you know, one mistake 100%. and it's game over. Right. So, you know, congrats to you guys for, for, uh, you know, making sure you make good decisions along the way. And, uh, we're hoping to do the same with our, with our little project here. So anyway, um, you know, let's, let's dig into the fun stuff, the elk hunting. And, uh, I guess one of my, I got a whole stack of questions and, and if we get, uh, if we get questions from the, from the audience here, we'll, we'll definitely get Blake to slide them in. Um, my first question, we're going to loop back to, uh, Roosevelt hunting in a couple minutes here, but, um, when you guys, when did you guys start, uh, like when did the progress progression happen from hunting in Oregon to starting to hunt other States? Was that something you did before the whole video thing? No, no, we didn't. So we did that. We started that in 2012, I think. So after we gained enough money from the DVD sales, it was like, we have enough money to go out of state. And at that time which I wish it was now, uh, you could get uh, Wyoming over the count. You know, you could pretty much draw it every year and uh, a general Wyoming tag. And so we went to Wyoming and um, in seven, we killed, we killed five bulls in seven days in Wyoming. And that was really profound. It was just a, amazing. I, th I think people get pigeonholed in their own backyard and what they feel comfortable with. And I think, um, I, I know we did, you know, cause if the elk, especially Roosevelt elk, and I know you're going to get to that, but especially Roosevelt elk, they're fairly small ranges, right? So, I mean, if they're not here, they're probably going to be over here. Or if they're not there, let's go bugle down there, see if we can get an answer. All right. Remember the last time they were over, you know what I mean? It's, but when yeah. we went to Wyoming, it was just no stone unturned to hike and tell you, you know, 10, 13 miles a day and see where you can get shaken up. And it was an adventure. Like we'd never, mm -hmm. we'd never had before. Yeah. And then you got the element of grizzly bears and everything else in Wyoming, yeah. which you don't have, you don't get that on the Oregon coast. I don't think. Not yeah. too many. No, <laughs> not too many. <laughs> uh, no. Well, that's, yeah, that's awesome. So do you guys use, um, do you use any of the tag services like go hunt or, or any of those guys to help with your draws? I use Hunt and Fool now. That's who I use. Yeah, yeah that's mm -hmm. who I use. I'm good friends with Garth and those guys over at Hunt and Fool. And I didn't until just last year. So I, we'd always just been like, and we're terrible. I'll just be honest with everybody. It's like, oh my gosh, last day, guys. Did you guys have any idea Montana's, you know? And we're like, oh shoot, everybody jump on there. You know, it's, we're not very yeah. great at it. So I thought, well, this would be good. And so now, well, the hard part was like remembering all my passwords, all that stuff to, oh, yeah. give, to, those, to give to those guys. But but, uh, but no, it's, uh, they do a great job and I don't have to worry about it now. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I know a few guys up here in BC because for the most part, most of the U S states allow, uh, they consider, you know, out of country as, you know, as non-residents. So yeah. in a lot of states, um, Canadians can apply and come down and hunt. And I know a few guys that do it and, some use the tag services and some don't, and they just play the points game and stuff. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about our situation up here when I get down to it, but uh, we have a completely different program in BC on how our draws are done. Um, so out of all those states that you've hunted, um, is there a favorite? I mean, obviously Oregon is home, but is there one yeah, you mentioned Wyoming? Would, yeah, it wouldn't be my favorite um, as far as just, I, I like adventure, I like beauty. Um, Wyoming's hard to beat and and the people that I always meet in Wyoming are very hard to beat they're just I shot a bull one time in uh, Colorado and then we were making our way to Wyoming to hunt that as well and so I quartered it all up I even packaged it and um, 
everything. And then I brought uh, it to a bar, just a, a, just an old bar. And I said, hey, you guys have a cooler in here. Is there any way I can keep my meat in here? And the guy, he's like, well, how is the animal? Did you gut it? And I'm like, no, it's in packages. <laughs> he thought he was going to let me hang it in his cooler, just a gutted, hanging, you know, raw elk, you know. And nice. He, yeah. <laughs> and I hung it. I put that in this cooler for 10 days. I went there and I said, hey, man, I really appreciate it. Offered him $100, you know, $200, whatever. He's like, I don't want your money. No, I don't. You know, I'm just glad no. you guys had a good time. Awesome. We shot. We were got fortunate and, and had some better and some more luck in Wyoming, but it's just the people that I meet there have just been so amazing. And and Montana, it's a beautiful place too. So there's some wild. There, it's called Big Sky Country for a reason. It's got some huge, sure. vast, beautiful places. But um, just Alaska, that was gorgeous. We were out on the edge of the Brooks Range. Uh, I've never been there before. So yeah, I mm -hmm. think that I think there's a lot of places to the left to explore, definitely. But Wyoming has always held a place in my heart for one of the best nice nice yeah and you mentioned this year you're doing a big swing right you're doing new mexico and yeah you know, maybe colorado utah so yeah. those are beautiful too I, I personally have hunted a little bit i did a elk hunt a few years ago in new mexico and um you know it's it's phenomenal country too yeah. um there's a lot of private land but there's also a lot of, of state land as well but yeah it's it's great country so that's it's awesome. hard to beat colorado too I mean, just for mm -hmm. just the vast, just the giant mountains. I mean, they have so many peaks over 10,000 feet. It's crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the opportunity for out of state people that might be listening to this right now, Colorado is, I, I would look into it. I'm, it gets pressured hard. It does. But at the same time, there's places you can get away and actually have a really good hunt. Yeah. If you want to put some boots on the ground, I'm sure you can, yeah. you can get deep there. Yeah, so British Columbia, it's an interesting province if you're an elk hunter. So I don't know what you may or may not know, but we have, you know, we've got two species, right? We got Rockies and we've got Roosevelt. Um, the, our population of elk, um, I guess I should have pulled the numbers. Blake, you might know them off the top of your head, but our Rocky Mountain population, it's, it's not huge. And over the past 10, 15 years, uh, it's been suffering and, and kind of in certain areas, I should say, it's coming down. I'm not a biologist. I don't have the stats, but, you know, predators, uh, industry, um, just different environmental conditions, all of those things have played into our, our populations getting a, a little more sparse than we would like. British Columbia is also an incredibly vast, huge province. You know, it's massive. So, our elk are kind of scattered around different regions. So if you go into the uh, the southeast corner, bordering Washington State all the way along there, we have that's the Kootenays, west and east Kootenays is a good area. That's uh, a very popular area for, uh, for elk hunting. It's also um, very rugged, big mountains, lots of canyons and gorges, like really tough country. And for the most part, uh, elk hunting in BC is uh, over the counter, so you can just buy a tag. Oh, really? We can all, yeah, we can hunt in, in the rut with rifles. So we have archery season starts uh, for the most part. I think it's September first. In, in a lot of places, it starts. I think up north, it um, start a little earlier. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities for hunters to. Uh, to hunt elk with a bow and with a rifle in the rut. And then the season goes until sort of early, mid-October in most places. But the, the, 
The caveat to that is, is in the in the southern half of the province and in some of the areas, uh, the bulls are six point only. So oh, we really? have a six point okay. restriction. Yeah. So it, it makes it tough. And then you get a little farther north and a little more remote, you you know that that changes a little. We can you can shoot three point or better. And in some cases, um, you can shoot cows as well. Uh, just depends. But for the most part, our, our Rockies are all well, for the most part, they are over the counter, but we do have some special draws in certain areas. Not much, but a handful. But then when it comes to Roosevelt hunting, um, our Roosevelt population is, from what I understand, is doing quite well. And they're coastal based. So if you take a look at the geography of BC, we have Vancouver Island. And Vancouver Island has a lot of Roosevelt elk. They were transplanted there, you know, 50, 60 years ago. They've done really well that entire um, area and then parts of coastal mainland BC, uh, south coast BC, um, we have uh, Roosevelt as well, but that is a 100% uh, limited entry draw. And okay. the system in BC is 100% random on the draw. There is no points. There's no, um, you can't buy points. You can't do anything. It's just a lottery, pure lottery. And when you when it comes to Roosevelt, the odds, um, more often than not, the odds are not very good to pull a tag. Like, and because it's random, you might you might pull a you might pull one tag in your lifetime if you're you know considered a lucky you know, draw you know draw hunter. But you you know some guys will get two or three. But for the most part, like I've been applying for 25 years, never got a tag. And so, yeah. So you know, I I thought it would be interesting to kind of pick your brain on on tactics for Roosevelt hunting. Because honestly, you know, if you talk to elk hunters in BC, um, the majority of those elk hunters know how to hunt Rockies because that's what we hunt is Rocky Mountain elk. Sure. But, you know, the minority know how to really hunt um, uh, Rosies if there's any difference. And this is what I kind of wanted to unpack with you a little bit, given that you've got so much experience hunting, you know, both species. So I guess my first question is, um, you know, what do you consider key differences between Roosevelt hunting? Because I, I would think our um, the territory that we're hunting, Roosevelt elk, is going to be similar in uh, terrain and terrain features uh, as what you guys are hunting on the coast in Oregon. It'd be pretty close anyway. Same kind of uh, foliage and, and trees and that kind of thing. So, again, what sure. do you think the, the big differences are there? Yeah, so... <clears throat> So we approach it pretty much the same way. Honestly, like I get asked this question all the time and and my answer to it is I would so much rather try to call a Roosevelt bull than a Rocky bull any day of the week. And people get surprised by that. I think a lot of the times just because, you know, Rose or Rockies tend to bugle more. I mean, you're going to hear them bugle and bugle and bugle a lot of times. And a lot of times that's just, you know, uh, that's just a bull saying, hey, I'm over here. Where are you? You're over there. Okay, everything's cool. A Roosevelt's a little different, usually, in in, in my opinion, and in, in, in my uh, the circumstances that I've had, as far as like they're very territorial. They're very when you get a when you get a mature or not even too mature when you get a herd bull when you get a a Roosevelt that's you know that thinks he's king of the walk. Um, he's definitely callable. He's definitely susceptible to calls because because they they live in such confined areas and like you said with the terrain and the topography. Not to mention like the, um, I guess you could call it a rainforest kind of a look, you know, as far as like how thick it is around here. There's been lots of times, you know, 
you can't shoot 10 yards, you know, let alone seven, five yards. So it's, it's super thick. So these animals have, they don't have the ability to see other animals from long distance to tell what things are. So they either have to decide I'm going to come in and I'm going to see it for myself and that's going to get your shot for you. Or I'm going to sit back here and do the things that bulls do and hang up and just wait for you to show yourself. And so that's where the calling I think comes in a lot to where it's just like, you can really push the buttons of a bull and, and that's the fun of it, right? Where it's like, this didn't work, this didn't work, but let's keep edging on this. He really gets wound up when I start to rake this tree or whatever it may be. So that's where it's like the, the Roosevelt side of things, man. I, I, I love it when you can get a Roosevelt to bugle. They don't bugle as much as as Rockies, though. Some do, but generally they don't. But when you can get a Roosevelt to just start cracking off on his own, it's, I mean, I'll bet it's a, your kill rate goes up to about a 50, 50%. So they, once they're committed, they're really committed. Once, once that calling is engaged, then you, once the hook is set, you're, you're in good shape then. In our experiences, and so what we'll, what we'll do when we get a bull to bugle, when we get him to sound off and give away his location, right off the bat, first thing we'll do is we'll all look at each other and we'll all stop and we'll turn different directions. We'll wait quite a few minutes because usually Roosevelt's don't just pipe off and pipe off. Usually they will, and then it takes a little bit and they'll build it up again and, they'll, and then they'll pipe off again. So, and then we'll wait and then we'll get him to bugle again. And we want to pinpoint that location, number one. I want to, uh, I mean, I want to, within, 50 yards of where that bull is right now and that does a couple different things that tells us right off the bat okay he's just on that south face but he's got a little bench there so okay he's probably got cows they're probably bedded right there or is that bull moving down is he pushing his cows down to water is he what is he doing at that moment in time what time of day is it and then the other big thing is where's the wind at right so it's like okay where he's at the wind right now where i'm at is doing this but it could be totally different over on that side of the ridge or draw or whatever so just really like taking the equation down and breaking down each tiny little point of the chapters of, of the whole story is what helps us be successful. And like, how are we going to come into that bull? I always want to come into a bull on his level. I don't want to come in from above him. I don't want to come in from below him. I always want to actually have a, a level of that I can get on that he's already on. So he, he feels comfortable. He's not looking down at you and expecting to see something or scared to walk up a hill towards you. So all those little things take play when you're calling Roosevelt's, any bull for that matter, but especially like Roosevelt's that are just super they're turned on all the time. It seems like the other cool thing about Roosevelt's is like a Rocky mountain bull. Say they wind you say the herd wins you or whatever the lead cow wins you. You're going to see dust for <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the next half mile over the next ridge. Whereas a Roosevelt, they're going to pick up, they're going to move about 300 yards and then they're going to kind of start sneaking, milling around, trying to take a little bit of inventory. What just happened? All right. How far do we go for safety? And you can, a lot of times because of the topography and because of how, how thick it is around here, you can hear them go that distance and then you'll hear them stop. And so you could make another play on those animals if, if you have the right, the right terrain to do that. So there's a lot of cool things about Roosevelt's that I think a lot of people, it's intimidating at times. Um, but I've always said like finding, finding the darn things is the hardest part of Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to kind of pick your brain about that too. So like, I'm sure this is also similar to your, your country. So in Vancouver Island, there's a lot of logging. There's a lot of yep. old growth forest. There's a lot of reprod. And uh, I've talked to a few Roosevelt hunters and the big strategy for the most part, even with the outfitters that kill big bulls over there is they drive around at first light and they look, they try to find them, you know, visually in log blocks first even on the pre-scouting. And like you said, if they know they're in that log block on Monday, chances are Thursday, Friday, they're probably not far from that log block. Um, so my question would be, um, one, of, one of the many questions would be, if you're trying to e-scout an area, I mean, you obviously got your backyard, you got your honey holes and all that stuff. But if you're uh, e-scouting and trying to just find a good location for Roosevelt's um, what are you looking for? Because I know with Rockies, at least in BC, what we look for a lot of times is a water source to start with and some feed. You know, I mean, in the case of a Rosie, what what do you guys look for? And that's where it's difficult. That's why I said hut finding them is the hardest part because it sounds like we have the same kind of terrain, logging roads all over, reprod, uh, every edge of timber up to old growth, all that. And so, um, and that's why I say finding them is the most difficult part because we are looking in clear cuts, you know, that's what we're looking in at times. But if I'm hunting something that I really, uh, I, I, it seems like those better bulls are in stuff that does not have an opening you know they they're in the thick bottoms and stuff and here like you said for rockies you're looking for water source we've got water every 30 yards so it's like yeah you don't the water source they've always they've always usually got water around here so and then you know and every night the fog comes in so that's why we have so many trees probably the same i'm assuming you guys too and and so it waters the trees every single day but um so there's lots of water and food is abound there's a lot of food it's just getting these spots so i hunt a couple different areas and it's probably about a two square mile piece and they've got lots of drainages and, and creek bottoms and stuff. And a lot of times getting to the bottoms is terrible. I mean, it's just so thick. But elk, especially in September, especially in September, they will live. They want to see their cows. They want to be able to actually see what's going on. So they will live in a little more open bottoms, uh, maybe bed and just a little more open reprod, uh, stuff like that. Just because they do like to, they, they, you know, that's their, their harem thing. They want to tend their cows. They want to be able to see what's going on with their whole family there. So it's a, it, it's one of those things where it's still finding them is difficult. I'm always looking for open. So I'll get on Onyx and I'll look for these bottoms that don't just knife draw. I'm looking for these bottoms that have some flats in the bottoms. That's anywhere from 20 to 60 yards at times wide. And I know those elk will feed down in those bottoms. And so that's what I'm kind of keying in. Big benches, that's another big one. Uh, big, you know, these these elk, they always come up and they usually bed on, they're going to bed in pretty good stuff. They're not, they're not going to be, you know, on super steep, steep terrain where they want to take a nap. And so what we'll do is we'll look in the bottoms at first and then we'll check the clear cuts and stuff like that. And then if we see elk in them, we're, unless there's like a good vantage to where we can sneak around a cat road or something and try to shoot something or the bull's just going crazy nuts or something on his own, which doesn't happen a lot, we're going to wait. We're going to wait on those elk till they get out of those clear cuts, until they get in those safe places where we can make a move on them and to where we can pinpoint where we think they're going to go. So do you, um, uh, like typically with um, Rockies, 
in in the rugged country in BC, we see them, you know, feeding in log blocks or whatever feeding area. And then at first light, they'll start working their way up high. They always go up more often than not. They go up and they bed, you know, in the darkest, you know, crappiest section of timber as possible. So, you know, for us hunting them, we have, you know, you got to try to get them when they're in motion or at first light, try to pin them down. With Rockies then, I guess, in your, or with uh, Rosies in your area, you're gonna they're gonna be feeding at night and into first light and then they're gonna be in that same motion program to bed but their bedding area is not as far away basically is what you're saying they'll have a nice flat bench usually it's not close <clears throat> rockies will go miles sometimes and that's the hardest thing with rockies is just keeping up with them to get where they're gonna bed sometimes whereas roosevelt's mm -hmm. it seems like they've got a spot and a lot of times he won't bugle, you know, a lot until he gets to where he's, he, he will on the run, everyone, you know, when they're moving and everything, but he likes to be, he, Roosevelt's like to be around their, their girls. They like to be close to him and then they show mm -hmm. dominance that way. And so that's in, in, in our experience, that's, that's how we hunt them. You know, we, mm -hmm. we want them to bed down. We kill 95% of our bulls from 11 o'clock till three o'clock in the middle of the day in the hottest part of the day, because those, those animals have went in there, they've bedded down. He knows his cows are safe. He knows, okay, they're going to stay there for the day. Now I got time to go check out this guy over here. That's been, that's been bugling at me or cow calling or whatever it may be. That's been trying to piss me off. I'm going to go. I know they're fine. I, I, I'm going to go now and check this out. And that's when we capitalize on midday. Uh, almost, oh. like I said, 90% of the time, it's right in the middle of the day. Right on. So then, uh, so they're bedded down. Um, you've obviously had a couple bugles with them early to establish where they're at for bedding. Correct. Then you guys wait. And then do you, do you do a slow play sneak attack and come in close and just try to piss them off? Is that the idea? Just get closer and closer. It depends on his demeanor. Like if I can see the bull ahead of time, it helps too, because you can really watch with every call. And that's one thing I would really stress to people is like, watch these animals when you do something and watch their reaction. Like when, when you cow call, does he throw his head back and start sniffing the air and stuff like that? And that's like, I would stick with that cow call as hard as you can. And you're going to call that bull in 90% of the time. Or mm -hmm. does he go over and rake a tree? You know, when you bugle, when you rake, what does he do? Does he start peeing on himself? I know it sounds crazy, but all these tiny, tiny, tiny little things, if you can see his demeanor in everything that you do and then mimic that, what he really hates the most, you're going to probably call that bowling. Right on. So then, um, yeah, like you were saying earlier, once they're committed, then they're committed. And, um, you know, they're you're probably going to kill them. Um, so... Typically, then first light, you guys are. If you haven't seen them, you're just lo locator bugling. I see a lot of times you guys do the road bugle with yeah. Rockies. Anyway, do you do that with Roosevelts too? We do. Yeah, not as much on the roads and stuff, just because they do get down in these holes. And the and the thing that you probably experience too, Rocky hunting is more open. It's got uh, you know some more, um, not quite as thick of timber and everything so our bugle is going to reach a few hundred yards whereas roosevelt hunting and if you've ever done it take a bugle walk in the thick timber you know 150 yards there's times you can't even hear yourself bugle or your mm -hmm. buddy bugle so uh, I, I i really 
recommend just every 200 yards bugle and then we'll get these cat roads you know and you guys have them too on the logging roads and stuff that are shut mm -hmm. off to people or tank trapped out just walk those cat roads and we'll just fast walk it and bugle every 50 75 yards like it it's not uncommon for us to bugle two to three hundred times a day wow yeah yeah i mean and that, you you do see that in some of your shows but uh, a lot of times you know it's for the you know i guess in the effort of keeping the film rolling we don't see what happens behind the scenes and you know the Correct. cat road shuffle shuffle that you guys do i'm sure has a lot of bugles in it um so what's it like uh, getting them to close in like when you're when you're zeroing in on that bull and he's coming in is there a change in tactics for that but i call it the final approach it's like goose hunting when they when the geese flat flatten out and they're coming in so that bull is coming in that last hundred yards um is there a, a, a strategy that's different than uh like are you gonna rake are you gonna you know lip ball grunt or is there is it basically the same elk as an elk i guess that's the question well by then i hope uh, um the hope is by then by that by that time by the when you get into that moment you you need to hope you've got him figured out by then you know you need to be like i know now that when i rake he is gonna he's gonna come undone or you know when i chuckle because bulls they're so they're so weird some of them and i know you guys have seen this like there's just one thing that you can do if you keep on doing that one thing it makes them mad enough and it's mm -hmm. for it's for every single elk is different and so I always like when we start a call sequence, I'll do one really long call and try to get really, really far range pitch, nothing. Okay. Let's do a bugle and a chuckle. Okay. Let's try that. Let's try a lip ball. And all right. Mm -hmm. And I'll always usually start my calls with a cow call. Just like if I can get a bull to bugle back to a cow call, that's game over. Usually if you can, it's pretty not rare, but it, it's, he's gotta be, I think there's, I think there's two to three days in his life per year that he's going to do that, you know? And, mm -hmm. so, and so that's what, and I, another thing is just, it's like, you don't know what happened last night. You don't know if that bull got his butt kicked last night. You have no idea of like what's taking place up until that moment when you're calling that elk. So really be feely with him and really try to feel him out. Like, is he kind of timid? Will he bugle, but not come in? I mean, the classic elk move is 80 yards, right? And he just kept bugling and kept bugling. He was at 80 yards and he kept bugling. Okay, well, what are we doing there to increase our odds? Are we going to stop bugling and run up 50 yards after about 20 minutes after that bull's wandered off? Because he's got that safe place. He'll come again. He'll be back there. But is that what we do? Or do we start doing a different tactic? Do we leave him? and try to just come back later on when his moves change, all these different things that you can do. Um, it's just the whole bag of tricks, if you will, is just unlimited. But the biggest thing that I want everybody listening to this, the biggest thing is don't do nothing, do something, do something, mm -hmm. even if it's wrong, do not be scared to screw it up because you're going to learn so much from that screw up. That's going to help you down the road but i i see i hear a lot of elk hunters a lot being like well i was afraid to screw it up so i just didn't go i just stayed back and i didn't and he bugled his head off it was awesome 80 yards i never got to see him but i bet he bugled i bet he bugled 30 times and i'm like mm -hmm. what could you have done even if you screwed it up to maybe you know increase your success sure. rate on that so that's a big thing yeah you know that's it's funny you say that because that's the third you're the third guest in a row to tell us exactly that in three nights and 
you know, one of the guys we were talking to last night, um, he's, he's a BC boy and has, you know, they've killed a ton of bulls. They're very successful success rate. And one of his comments, this is regarding Rockies. He said, you know, when you have that bull engaged in, you know, um, a showdown, if you will, and you're within that 100, 200 yards and you're trying to get them to, to close the distance, don't let up because if you, if that bull loses interest for a second, he'll, his attitude could change and he could start to process what's going on and walk away. And yeah. it sounds like the, you know, the Rosies might be just maybe not quite there in the same way or sense as a, as a Rocky, but you know, uh, it makes good sense, right? Like, and, and I like your approach um, to, to just don't be afraid to try something, right? I mean, uh, I know early on when I was learning how to elk hunt, you know, the the intimidation factor from a bull screaming at your face yeah. from a hundred yards away. Uh, I mean, you're you're just shaking like a leaf. You're you know you're trying to figure it out, and then you know you don't want to move a like a, a muscle, but then reality you can move, you can walk the elk walk, they move, you know, just be slow and, and, um, you know, precise with your movements. Right. And do you, do you see any difference between, uh, I guess it's hard with hunting rosies because they're in such tight quarters and jungle. You probably don't, uh, you know, movement's not such an issue as it would be with, uh, with Rockies, right? Not so much. No, we're constantly like everywhere we go, we're breaking limbs. Elk are big giant animals. They're, they're, they're big and they don't, usually tiptoe in usually especially roosevelt's usually you're gonna get teed off, you know get get teed off by a you know a limb breaking we've called in a lot of bulls just by hearing a limb pop and mm -hmm. they didn't giggle they didn't do anything but they gave themselves away as far as that goes so no we don't we don't uh we don't be quiet we don't we just act like a herd of elk honestly and your last question as well like calling a scenario of like what to do we have the advantage of having multiple callers a lot of times. So we have the advantage of hunting in a group of about anywhere from three to five people. And so what that, it is a lot, but what that does for you is open up a lot of different avenues of like that bull's hung up. I can get that collar to wrap around or I can, you know, I can move him around to where I can intercept that bull and get a shot at him. So it, it, it helps a lot. It really does. So, um, is that the same when you guys are um, hunting in other states and stuff? Do you do that same tactic with with same multiple thing. guys and play play the yeah. game? Well, there's yeah. been times I mean, I've packed yeah. seven guys before one for I've one seen, pack. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it blows my mind how how do you get that? You know, it's like a it's like a parade. How do you guys get a parade to walk through the bush with cameras and, and six seven guys? It's it's pretty pretty amazing that you guys can pull that off. Um, so. You know, on on the rosy side of things, um, do you guys do the? Uh, I don't know if I if I've seen any. I mean, you're you're hunting from home most of the time, but I, I guess do you guys ever do the? Uh, you know, the backpack hunts for Roosevelt. Like, have you got areas where you can do that, or is it pretty much road access? And we do have area? some. We do have some, and that's going to be your like closed down private timber companies that you can go in and maybe camp on overnight or find some BLM mm -hmm. or whatever it may be, but. For the most part, there's so many logging roads around here that if you walk far enough, you're going to hit another road. You're going to hit another road. It may not be accessible or drivable, but you're going to have some access there. So usually what we'll do is make big loops. Um, when we're rocky hunting, um, our tactics for that is 
we used to do back in the day, we'd go for like eight days, you know, at a time. And um, what we found is now we, we pack for three days. So we'll pack three days of food, three days um, uh, to stay. If, if we haven't killed one in three days, you know, um, that's going to be our bad. Or if there's elk there, we're going to be moving, you know, we're going to be packing an elk out hopefully is what the goal is. And then if we have, you know, if we haven't seen or anything within three days, you're going to know what's there and you better be moving yeah. areas anyway. Get out. Sure. Of sure. Awesome. Um, Blake, any, we've got a couple questions. Do you want to maybe pull them off the, yeah. off the list there? Yeah. I think the main question um, was Adam was just asking like uh, Trent, is there any, like do your tactics change? For rosies um october versus september like do you approach yeah. any different it's different man so after that september moment after you go through hunting september and getting in the main rut and all that it's october's different october can be tough it's um it's i always still carry cow balls always still have a bugle you never know when you're going to get that one right you never know when that's going to happen but it's 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 a tough deal as far as I'm using them then to, because you get into the rifle mode then. And so I'm using that then to stop a bull that's I'm rifle hunting and he's in a unit and he's walking out or he gets scared or something like that. That's what I'm using those for is to actually get his attention enough to get a shot or something of that nature. We don't, I've had bulls bugle in October and I've caught, we've called bulls in in October. Um, but it's, it's, I would not say it's the norm by any means. It's just not. Hmm. Yeah, so it's spot and stock basically once the rut's over, right? Getting lucky finding them. It is, but a lot of times in. those those big bulls will stay with those cows, you know, into November they will, and in big ones too. And and so yeah, having that cow call in your mouth or something just to just to have that just buy you just a little bit of time, sure to it, mm -hmm. it helps sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of our um, a lot of our uh, limited entry draws are later on the island i could be wrong i'm sure someone will correct me but just the ones i've looked at there's a lot of october stuff and i know it's uh at that point it's you might get lucky calling them but a lot of times it's spot and stock in the in the log blocks and whatnot so let's switch gears a little trent and talk about um the out-of-state stuff and and get over to uh the rockies um i'm super curious about this one uh, you know you guys have you go back to your land of the free series, the first one where it was 53 days of elk hunting and however many states it was. And, and what'd you say? How many bulls did you guys kill in that, in that month? Killed 13. <laughs> I can't, I, that just staggers me, but yeah, I mean, I watched the whole series and, uh, and I'm certainly going to go back and watch it. So let's, let's talk about that strategy for that. So obviously you did not, you know, you didn't just, you know, one year just decide, oh, we're going to hammer this out. You must have had some planning. How did the scouting and preparation go for, you know, even the first one or two states? Like, were you e-scouting? You have buddies? Like, what's the drill there? How did that all play out? Yeah, so that was, that was a collaborative effort. So every single state that we went to, and that's how we did it to try to grow that our to grow our brand and to try to grow the the following that we we're trying to do is we met with another company. So, like um, we went to Colorado and we met with Exo uh, Mountain Packs and hunted with them. And so that was kind of cool that we could we we told each company that we met with we said, hey, here's the deal: you guys pick out where we go hunting, 
we'll help you do that. Send us, you know, your ideas and stuff and let's, you know, let's collaborate on that and, and we'll finalize those. But if you guys got some ideas of where we're going to go in Idaho, um, anyway, let's, let's talk about those and let's do that. So it was a collaborative effort in that, in that way as well to try to kick that off because just, just doing that on your own, and this is another great uh, thing. I'm hoping, anyway, all these I'm hoping are great things for somebody. But um, it's uh, always have at least two to three spots picked out. Two at the very minimum. I would say five at the maximum because there is so many times that we will head to a place and, like I said, we'll search it out for a day, two days, and it's a ghost town. It just just didn't work, you know. And so, and you jump in the truck, and there's a lot of times we will drive. 24 hours, 12 hours, all through the night to get to the next trailhead that we have on our list to start hiking from there to get in there and, and go hunting. So it, it always have a backup plan. So you don't, and, and big thing about elk hunting, and we've touched on this before is discouragement, right? Always do something just do, even if you don't know if it's right, you can't just stick. I, I talked to so many people. They're like, man, I hunted the same spot for 20 days. And I saw, you know, I saw two herds. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to be moving. You need to be like, if you're not seeing what you want to see, get mobile and, and get out of there and go find those elk. Go, go chase that dream. Yeah. And, I, and you know, the one thing I've noticed too, and I'm sure there, everybody who's listening has noticed it as well. I mean, you guys cover a boatload of ground, even if it's like you, you know, you go to a, a trailhead. The nice thing about uh, what you have in the U S is you've got all this protected uh, wildlife or uh, like, you know, uh, I don't know what they call it, but the basically it's like state land that you have. National forest. Tra- national forest. Sorry, that's what I'm looking for. So you got the national forest to work with and you've got the trailheads. But, I mean, you see a lot of your footage where you guys will roll into a trailhead and there's, you know, five horse trailers and 13 trucks. And, yeah. you know, and it's like, okay, guys, we're going to go. But the cool part of it is, you know, we see you guys bugling 10 minutes up the trail. And, you know, you might not hear something, but you might. And then the next day, wow, we're 15 miles deep. We're working this ridge. We got, you know, we aren't seeing anything. And then, you know, two days you guys are packing out or you're killing elk or whatever. So um, I'm just curious now, when you get to that micro level uh, where you've teamed up with, like, say you got hooked up with Steve from XO and you guys are hunting in Idaho, um, you know, that's a case where he probably knows that territory pretty well or has buddies or experience but there's got to be some of those locations where you might have an idea on a trailhead and you're just trying it and that's what we see in your shows and your content is you know a lot of times those mistakes are made and you capture that and record it but what how does e-scouting play a role for you guys at the at that level like when you're when steve says we're going here are you guys studying it up real hard ahead of, ahead of time or what do you do a little bit a little bit i mean if you get out of state honestly and you get in some big roadless and it's if it's roadless and it's got water and it's got timber in it there's 90 percent time you're going to find elk in it is what we found and so and at that point sometimes it's just how deep you're going to go you know how how far do you want to go and how 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 far does the does the does the land allow you to go before you run into another road system or another who knows what you know so it's like it, it all those things play a factor in it but like there was one time we um, we were in Colorado hunting and it was a spot that we killed some really good bulls the year before. And we went in there eight miles and it was a ghost town. We couldn't find mm-hmm. a bull. 
we couldn't, I mean, on our way out, we did kill one bull. We did shoot one bull on the way out and Trevor shot it and we packed it out. But while we were doing all that, there was a guy in that place that we ran into because we ran into a lot of people in there. And he's like, man, I hunted this pot and very in the Southern spot of Colorado. And he named it and everything. And honestly, we packed Trevor's bull out. Everybody got in the truck. We drove clear South 12 hours all night long, got to that trailhead (laughs) to his spot that he said, that was a good one because we didn't really have anything else to go on. We had your lead. Yep. (laughs) And in two days we killed three bulls in there. So it was like, it was, you know, one of those things where it's like, you know, you gotta have, you gotta have that confidence, I think, to just up ante and go do something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and honestly, uh, you know, I'm guilty of this too, maybe selfishly, but um, if you talk to a lot of people in the hunting space, uh, you're not going to get an X on a map, but you might get some pretty good advice on general areas. And like you say, if it's if it's got water and it's got feed and it's remote, well, there you go. Those are three of the five or six things you need to kill elk, right? Um, it's a little different in the sheep hunting world in BC. I'll tell you that right now. Like, you know, <laughs> guys, are, you know, it's like, but what, whereabouts do you hunt? Uh, I hunt up north, right? Like that's <laughs> you know, it's basically as far as it goes. But yeah, um, you One know, you're I- definitely uh, you're you're definitely right on that. Um, I guess you know. Sorry, you you were going to add something there, Trent. No, one thing I'm just going to add about just like bouncing around and changing directions and changing, you know, where you're going to go um, <clears throat> is um, so, like I said, like we went to the whole other end of the state to do that. And we had the, we had the just off the whim, you know, and it just goes back to the whole, don't be afraid to screw up kind of thing. Like, don't be, don't be afraid to make a decision and it be wrong, you know? And that's, that's where uh, the team that we have put together is like, we're all really, really, really tight. And we just, you know, we back each other, no matter what we flip a coin in the air, who's shooter today. And he makes every single call. I don't care if he wants to go to Winnemucca to go hunting tomorrow, we get in the truck and we all follow him. And then, all right, your day's over. Now it's someone else's turn. But still, you're fired. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it's like just, man, it, hunting as a team has helped us a, a ton, man, a ton. Well, that's awesome. You know, one thing um, that I've noticed uh, watching your stuff over the years, um, you guys are super aggressive with bugles. Yeah. And and that, that seems to be your theme. You know, we've had Blake and I chatted about this uh, last night. Um, our first guest owns a call company and he's an Alberta uh, elk hunter champion, world champion elk caller, super knowledgeable guy. And, and he broke it into, he says elk hunters are broken into two categories for the most part. One is, and, and of course everybody does bugle and cow call, but he said for the most part, from a strategic perspective, you are either a bugler or you're a cow caller. And um, you know, again, Guys will do both, but sure. I mean, you look at your show and and the content and the and the strategy. Um, we hear an awful lot of bugles, and we see a lot, and it's aggressive, and it's a lot of them. And maybe talk about that a little bit because I'm sure that's something you guys have enhanced over the years, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes to a fault. Actually, <laughs> there's times that it's just like, 
man, why did I do that? That was dumb. Why did I? And, and, and guys, I just want to really stress, like, you have no idea how many times we just let out one bugle or one cow call and the whole herd just blows up and just takes yeah. off so many times. And it's just like, what did I say there that wasn't right? I have no idea. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> but, that doesn't even make the B-roll, right? Yeah, it, it, you know, you have to say it. You have to be like, well, man, that, that just happened. You know, I don't know. But <laughs> it's, um, yeah, but so our whole tactic uh, I, I'll, I'll describe it as fishing, right? So I'm going to go fishing and I got this, I got my fishing hole, the hole that I'm going to fish in, right? I'm going to throw my line in there four or five times. If I don't get a bite, I'm going to run down the river to the next hole. I know there's probably five fish in there that are sitting mm -hmm. down there and I'm going to throw a couple different lures at them and then I'm going to move on. And we do the same thing in hunting. We are looking for the biters. So we are going to cover as much ground as we can to find that bull that wants to play our game rather than trying to, you know, maybe, okay, I heard a limb pop. Let's try to stalk in or something like that. We just don't do that. We're looking for that one situation that puts the ball in our field in order to put the advantage on us. And so we're looking for the biters. We're trying to and find the one that wants to play our game. And so bugling is the best way for us to do that because it's a vocalization. You know, you've got a bull for one and it's, I have nothing against cow hunting. I have nothing against it, but here it's three pointer better. So you've got to kill a bull. So sure. for one, you've got a bull and for two, you know, he's responsive. So there's two big W's right there. And then you go into, okay, is he, is he, can you move him around? Can you designate what he does? And we do that with a lot of different things, bugles, cow calls and stuff, but how we, how we generally find that bull is from a uh, vocalization of a bugle. Right. Right. So I guess, you know, um, the difference, I guess the main difference for us here in British Columbia and Alberta to a certain degree, we don't have the density of elk. So we don't have, we don't have those populations. So, you know, when we're fishing uh, and I'll, I'll kind of steal this from you a little bit, we're looking for nibbles, not as much, maybe a little bit more than bites, like full-on salmon strike, you know. Yeah. If we get a little tap of the line, and that's one bugle calling back to us, that that might be what we have to work with. So, you know, our strategy might be a little bit different there uh, in that we don't have, I don't want to call it a luxury, but we don't have the population as simple as that. So, But that's you know, the whole it's, thing. It's tougher. you got to understand, though, Chuck, I've went seven days without hearing one bugle. There you go. So it's not like it's it's not a daily thing. It's not a weekly yeah. thing. Sometimes I've went five, six, all, all so many days without hearing one one peep, and that's a lot of things. You you can show it on there, but the the, the viewers like, okay, cool, you didn't hear anything today, you know? Yeah, it's not and it's so not great TV. Exactly. And so we yeah. try to show, hey, guys, this is the fourth day that we've been at this grind. You know, we've done 20 mm -hmm. some odd miles or whatever it may be. It's like, we're just not getting, we're not getting a response. And so it's like when you do get that one response, because we don't have a huge density either. Our populations aren't huge, but it's just capitalizing on that one, you know. Right. Yeah. And I guess, like you say, you're covering ground as much as possible and you can only show so much of a, a 10 day elk hunt in, you know, yeah. 22 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever. Right. So, Correct. Correct. Um, cool. So um, one of the things I've been doing with our guests this week is I've been throwing out scenarios and just kind of getting the opinion from everybody. So this there, here's a scenario uh, that's pretty common. 
Um, and this more often than not is Rockies. Cause again, I don't, I haven't hunted uh, Roosevelt yet, but so you're, you know, how do you guys handle a bull? Uh, so it's early morning, you get that initial bugle. It's maybe at the far end of, of reach as far as distance goes on the bugle. You hear that faint bugle, you get him talking a couple times and it appears that he's moving away and that's your one and only lead. What's your approach with that bull? He's headed to bed. He's got his cows. Um, that's the lead and your shooter of the day says, I want to kill that bull. So what's your strategy there? You're pulling right off the bat. You're pulling out your maps, Onyx, whatever maps you use. We use Onyx. They're awesome. Um, you're pulling out your maps and you're looking at a direction. And I'm going to try to keep that bull bugling as much as possible. And I'm going to start hauling butt to try to get to it. So, like I said before, it's it's keeping up with those Rockies. That's the hardest part because a lot of times they'll go long distance to bed and they'll turn around. You hear it all the time of, well, he was just walking away from me, but he was bugling, but he was just walking away from me. That's not because he hates you. That's because he's killing his cows. His lead cow is telling him where they're going to bed and he's just going to fall. You know, he's going to be right behind him the whole way, smelling exactly what he can smell off of them as they walk. So he, um, yeah, I would be just tucking tail and going straight at him, keeping the winds, keep up elevation enough to where the wind, because that wind's going to change here shortly, you know, so that wind's going to be drawn down if it's morning, obviously, in a lot of places. I'd be keeping a little elevation and going right at him and trying to just mm -hmm. cut that distance and, and keep up with him is what I'd be doing. Right. Yeah, so then um, just try to stay, just keep them engaged and try to get as close as you can and, and try to figure out where they're going. And then if he goes quiet, but you know where he is, is that when you guys try to tend to pull out the slow play and wait or let him get bedded down and then, yeah. Correct. Yeah, the slow play is a huge thing for us. You'll see us sitting a lot of times. I'll sit for three, four hours sometimes in one spot that I know the wind is okay, that I know I'm close enough. I could hear him if he does anything. So there's so many times you're just sitting there and you guys have seen a bull bed down, you know. A lot of times they'll grunt, you know, make a big noise, when, mm -hmm. and that'll tip you off. Like, okay, he's right over he's there. Down. He's yes, and so, and then it's just subtle stuff, you know, just seeing what gets him agitated, seeing what sparks his interest, and just kind of going from there, and um, and slow playing that. But but yeah, just you can screw things up in a hurry, you know, but you can also mm -hmm. sit there for hours and still screw it up. So it's like yeah. What, what, where do you want to go with it? What's your best advantage and what's your best opportunity? How hot's it going to get that day? You know, are they going early? Are they going early to, to bed? Or are they just waiting until 10 o'clock sometimes to bed? All these little things can tip you off to where you make a decision, a final decision to like go after that bull and to really, that's where you're going to make your stand. Do you guys pay attention to the, the moon cycles? No, nope. with the elk rat? Nope. Oh, yeah. I, if you can go hunting, my advice to you, if you can go hunting, go hunting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, personally, I'm not a believer, but I know a lot of guys, you know, for some reason, you know, have their own reasons why they uh, they follow the moon cycle. But um, it always seems when I look at the moon cycle, if I happen to look at it, um, it just it's never right for the 10 days I have to go elk hunting. So it's right, like, right. Well, I'm not going to wait another year, so I'm going to try, right? Um, My biggest advice on days, I get a lot of question. Uh, I, 11th through the 22nd is not a bad time in September. You know, if you got yeah. a 10 day, if you got a 10 day period, not a bad time. Mm -hmm. 
Do you, does that apply with the Rosies on the West Coast, or is that right at a different time? Right now, it's crazy, actually. We've got oh, uh, three bulls that have bugled this last week. So I've got bulls right now that are actually running cows right now, which is nuts to me. Uh, I don't know early. what it is about the year. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But that was last week. That was five, six days ago. So it just oh, nuts. Yeah. So I'm hoping it leads up for a good good season. But I would say generally like Rosie hunting, I want to hit those. I want to hit them from opening day. I want to hit them from the 1st of September if I'm going to plan a Roosevelt trip and then like plan Rocky trips. The Roosevelt's will be first in my in, in, in our experiences. Right on. Um, so another scenario I have for you. And we kind of touched on this before, but it was, you know, more along the lines of Rosie. So let's say you get in a situation, you're in Wyoming, you're, you've been working a bull. Um, you guys are archery hunters, so you want to get them ideally sub 50, right? That's sort of the idea yeah. if you can. Yeah. Uh, what do you do if you're in a situation with a bull and, you know, he's, he's holed up again, he's out of range and he's engaging with you starting to lose interest and you know you start to get nervous you can't get him within 50. Uh, i know you probably have different scenarios for different things but what's your go-to move like what what are you doing right now like let's do it my go-to move is i'm gonna shut up i'm not gonna say anything i'm just gonna obviously he's losing interest because you're not coming the distance so he wants to see you just as much as you want to see him but the problem is, is he's not he's not budging, and so do the best thing you can and get closer. So I'm going to shut up. And that bull, obviously, he's probably got cows somewhere out ahead of him, and so he's gonna he's got a safe place. It's usually on a ridge top. Usually nine times out of ten, it's on this ridge or on the edge of a bench or something. So I will get up to the edge of that bench on level wise as far as elevation, and then what I'll do is just shut up and not say a word and let him wander off and lose interest. And then that's the only time I'm actually going to sneak up there. And I will probably still sit my collar close to where he was at probably just so it doesn't spook. So he feels comfortable. And so I'll get my shooter up to where he can make that 40 yard shot. And then I'll have my collar go ahead and call and see if he'll come right back to there. Try to get him agitated enough to get back to that one spot. He, he feels comfortable so you can get a shot at him. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's great advice. I know uh, we talked about this last night with our buddy, Jordan, who's a BC guy and hunts, like I said, has a lot of success with them. And we, Bert Blake and I personally have noticed this too, that uh, the rough country bulls, like the steep, the where in your steep mountainous country and dark, you know, dark spruce and dark timber. Uh, when those bulls are coming in, they want to come in from above you. That's that's the common theme with our bulls in BC, unless it's flat country. They want to come in above you. Do you guys find that in states like Wyoming, Colorado, where there's you know big mountains, or is it does it really matter to them? I don't know necessarily above you. I know we get a lot of the whole come in to where it's almost visual and then circle. You know, they'll do this, uh -huh. they'll try to circle you, whether it be above you, whether it be side hill, however that topography works. Um, and this is why we have a lead shooter. So we'll run a lead shooter and it's his call where he sets up. That's where your call is. And then the other guy's going to flank him. So we're going to have a secondary shooter and he's going to flank him just, just for the, just for the um, chance that that bull does try to circle you and then he can still get a shot before the, before the bull wins you. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you guys don't really have opportunities for rifle hunting in the rut in in most of those states either right so you've got to kind of have that 50 yard zones all covered by other shooters right that's correct that's probably the tactic yeah correct yeah so for us it's a little different here too because our um a lot of times the especially in that rugged country our shooting lanes are very unpredictable but it is rifle so you know we tend to keep most of the guys will tend to keep the shooter fairly close to the collar um just you know just because of the angles and stuff but roosevelt um, hunting we'll yeah. do the same thing there's a lot of times our collars sitting right off our shooter hip a lot of times in roosevelt hunting whereas rockies we're you know we're pushing that 20 30 50 yards sometimes whereas roosevelt hunting there's a lot of times we'll be right on the right on the shooters right behind them yeah right on so what's your uh, what's your favorite way to hunt like the backpack hunting or do you like the nice cushy cap i mean you guys do both like what, what's your favorite it's hard to beat ribeyes i'm not gonna lie to you it's hard to beat ribeyes <laughs> yeah for no. sure exactly no. yeah Mo- mountain house ribeye uh, let me think, right? <laughs> no i man I, I the backpacking thing um is the neat thing about the backpack thing is is to me this is this is another thing like in my life i want to be able to get a map of the western united states or canada i'd love to hunt up there one of these days but and be able to put a pin on places that i've hunted and instead of a pins being in dots i want a pen to be covering the whole state to just try new things and so that's why every year we say dude let's not go back to the same place we've been let's go to a new spot and new stuff yeah it's and you hunt so much harder because if you're hunting the same spots all the time you're like okay mm-hmm. they were here last year we went down here we did this you know it's so you're gonna hunt so much harder if you go to a a new spot and you're like okay i'm not gonna leave a stone unturned i'm going to check this whole box is what i'm gonna do thanks buddy um and getting dark in here <laughs> and, yeah i was uh, like boy we're, we're, this is a long session <laughs> no 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 it's just getting dark um but um but yeah it just like checking all the boxes and actually you know just do your due diligence and then when you get done with that area you're like okay i feel like i i hit that good enough and there's nothing here you know yeah 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 i know um i like the backpack hunting for certain things elk yeah we I mean, blake and i just got back from a, a backpack sheep hunt we love that adventure stuff but I'll be honest. Uh, I'm pulling my fifth wheel trailer north here in a couple of weeks, and we're going to camp in town, and we're bringing our hunting buggy with us. We're going to day hunt, and we may spike up, but yeah, ribeyes. I'm with you, man. I think that's there's not a bad. Yeah. The other one that we've discovered too is uh, Starlink, the satellite internet, which so that because we both talked about was, this year. I bet it year. was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys could upload, you, you could upload, you know, live day by day stuff in the backcountry. But, you know, you think about it, right? Um, the conveniences for hunters now, uh, technology's come such a long way. And, and it does suck a lot. That, you know, I'm sort of old school too. It's like, well, I don't want to be connected. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, I can work remote, Blake can work remote. And, you know, if we're able to stay connected, we can have more days in the field because we can stay up there longer and not impact our, our jobs. Now, it doesn't help the wife uh, relationship at home. Uh, in Blake's case, he's getting married in a week. Oh, in my case, hey. uh, I know, hunting season, right? Our elk season opens, but for the most part, 
like the September 11th. So I was kind of plotting it on that, but okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've had a lot of feedback on, on the September date. Yeah. We could do a whole podcast on why that's a, not a good idea, but <laughs> I'm just, uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're speaking my language, Chad. Cause when I first heard the date, I was like, you want to what? Uh, yeah. Not okay. my first Get pick. You. Yeah. <laughs> just make I did sure tell that. Him. Go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, I've been married. It'll be 37 years this September or November. I get that right. November. Um, and uh, the one piece of advice I gave him was I said, like, you know, choose your battles. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's it. If you want to hunt, fight for it. If you know, if she wants you home the weekend before hunting season starts, does it give you hunting season? If it does, go for it, you know. Establish, so, anyway. establish that right now. Right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's story time, Trent. Um, do you, you must have one of these because we all do. Tell us your one that got away story. There's got to be an elk in there somewhere that just, just fries your bacon, man. Which one oh, got away? Man. Um, <laughs> Brock, congratulations, brother. That's awesome. Um, there was one, uh, if you watch our oldest videos, and this one you can't see on YouTube because we don't have the digital space. We didn't know how to put the clips together to actually get them on YouTube down. So you have to, uh, it's a DVD we called Tagged Out. It was our very first season. And we hunted our butts off, like I said, for that whole year. And we killed those bulls on the last uh, four days. We killed, we killed, no, we killed four bulls in three days, the last three days. But before that, we had this bull and it was giant. I've never seen, like, it's one of the biggest Roosevelt's I've ever seen. Probably, oh, I would say in that 320 category, just a big, giant, real heavy. And he would, uh, he would come out in this unit and we'd never have a chance to hunt him. He'd never bugle. He would just come out and there was another bull that was bugling act so that we could actually visibly see. And he would walk around that whole herd, it was amazing. And that bull would walk away and he would smell the whole herd and he would just walk off over the hill. And we nicknamed him Walter. And uh, we tried and tried and tried. And I saw him two different times. I got visuals at him. I had him uh, pretty close one time and I was at full draw. And I never, ever did get to release an arrow at him. But it was one of those that we always look back now and be like, how could we have, you know, that was when we were first starting. That was when we were just, you know, pretty darn new to doing the calling thing and to, to, to setting our own boundaries of what we needed to do there. It was tough. It was like, uh, what to have that time over again. Right. I think we all say that all the time. Like, man, if I could redo that, I would not oh, yeah. have done that like that, you know? Mm-hmm. The legend so, of Walter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was, uh, it was cool. All right, cool. That's yeah. I mean, uh, I've got a few of those. One of them is a stone sheep. That's a story for another day, but hopefully next year we can have a different conversation. Um, <laughs> but, so there's been a ton, like one of the things I've noticed or loved about your guys, uh, you know, your, your content is like the up close and personal, like your cameraman, man, it's all of you. Like I've seen every one of you carry the camera on certain days and you guys have had some like incredible elk encounters in your mind. Um, I know it's probably impossible to pick, but just maybe not the most craziest experience, but tell us a crazy experience that maybe, you know, was on camera or maybe not on camera 
as far as an encounter goes with a bull elk? We've had a couple crazy ones. Uh, we had a spike run run over Ty one time. He shot it, and um, it came right at us and just and it hit him. You know, as it ran, I mean, right through us. Um, there was there was another time that uh, we we're hunting with Wayne Endicott from the bow rack, and um, anyway, he shot a bull, and it was really crazy because we had a different camera angle on the bull and it just plows its head into this giant rock like just digging you know how they have their head down and it all mm -hmm. and just stops the bull time blows off um we've had a lot of just cr crazy stuff um i guess the one that comes straight to mind is this last year um i had an elk tag here in oregon and um Anyway, the bull was the bull was face on to me, and that's another cool thing that we could get into at some point. Um, but it was a it was a frontal shot, and we've had very good luck, very a lot of success with the frontal shot. Um, anyway, and, and it was twenty three yards, not a long shot, um, and I was already at full draw, and but the elk was kind of triggered, and I didn't know that. My brother was off to the side, and he was at draw on the bull and just about ready to shoot him, and I didn't see Trevor because it was a little bit thicker where he was at. And I released the arrow and actually the bull ducked right when my bow goes off. And so you can see it frame by frame from the side angle. Mm -hmm. You can see my arrow coming in and then he ducks his head and I count him right by the right. Oh, yes. I remember this, this episode. Yeah. And yeah. and if you want to talk about like we respect these animals more than anybody does. I mean, that last thing you want to do is see these animals suffer um and it was just it just it just tore me apart you know um thank god that we tracked him and tracked him and tracked him and he went uh he went almost two miles and then he um he expired and and, and just from that shot he was bleeding the whole way it was it was yeah it was I, crazy. I remember this one because the 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 camera was running from uh trevor's angle right and you yeah. could see it on on camera If I'm wrong, but that bull jumped from uh, public to private land too, right? Wasn't he on? Uh, didn't it he die did. on private land? It did. So yeah. we had to call the game warden. Then we had to get hold hold of the landowner because it's the landowner's. The game warden can't say anything. He said, "This is the landowner's number." Um, super blessed because the landowner he actually came in and and he uh, he um, uh, actually packed it out for us. He drove his truck right to it, and uh, which was really cool of him. Uh, yeah, but it was just, it was a, it was a roller coaster, elk hunting, any type of hunting. Um, it's just, a, you know, the highs and lows of the roller coaster of the whole thing. And, and those are, you know, sometimes unfortunate, but at the same time, they're the most, they're the most memorable, I would say. Well, yeah. And you know what, it, 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 it kind of opens the door for an interesting discussion, which, you know, you guys really need to be commended for. And that's the fact that it's the good the bad and the ugly that comes out in your stuff. And let's be honest, we're all hunters. We've all had good, bad, and ugly, right? Like I, I lost a mule deer last year because I made a shitty shot on him. I never found him. And, you know, I've never been madder in my life. I, I've wore the leather off my boots tracking that thing, and I never did find him. And, you know, I'll be honest, one of the reasons that we started this platform was – to provide a place for hunters to go on and have these discussions without getting flamed, without getting shadow banned, without having anti, you know, the antis come in with their 
mindless opinions. And, you know, I could go on a total rant for an hour on this, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, what you guys are doing is the reality of hunting, right? Like there's been more than one occasion where we've seen an arrow uh, hit a shoulder blade, you know, with one of your crew and, you know, a lot of times you find them, but there's the odd time where you don't, you just got to dust yourself off and, and get past it. Right. I mean, that's the reality yeah, of hunting. It is. There's definitely those times. And I, I always hate this. I hate a strong word. I always dislike it when people say, well, if you haven't lost one, you haven't been hunting long enough. You know, that's yeah. not, it shouldn't be said like that. But at the same time, mm -hmm. it's those things like we show every single thing because if, if Taylor Naren learns something from what our mistake was made, how we went wrong or something at that point, then it's all worth it. It's, it's, it's all worth mm -hmm. it. If it helps somebody uh, do something different or, or approach something differently, it's, it's all worth it to us. But it goes at the possible consequence of, like you said, getting canceled, like YouTube shutting you down, whatever mm -hmm. it may be, you always are, you're, you're, you're riding that fine line, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you, if you guys ever run into issues, your content's welcome on Spike Camp. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit. Uh, we're, we're getting close to the end of the session here, and I just want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to talk about um, the born and raised uh, product line that you have. Now, personally, I, uh, I purchased your game bags last year. I have yet to try them, but um, they're awesome, man. Just just looking at the uh, the design and watching the build, um, maybe give us a little uh, you know a little history on that whole that whole uh, process and, and sure. business model because it's pretty yeah. interesting. It's been crazy. So we went from uh, a YouTube creation, social media, whatever you want to call it, content creators to now we're into manufacturing, which is a whole different ball game with that comes with its challenges and stuff like that. And so we we designed these. We wanted to make a better game bag than just a pillowcase, you know, and we wanted to make it for the solo hunter. We wanted to make uh, just something, something, you know, something better, right? Build that better mousetrap. And so we came up with, uh, it's uh, it's shaped almost like a ham is what it's shaped like. And so a front shoulder is shaped like a ham and as well. So it's like, and it's got a zipper on it. So you can just undo the whole thing. If you're solo, you can put it right underneath the animal as you're taking the quarter off and it just lays right in there. Biggest thing with the, I think with hunters is you're, you're going for the experience, but you're also going for meat, right? You're going for that most important thing to feed your family for a year for an elk hunter, you know? So mm -hmm. it's pretty important stuff and, and you need to take it seriously. And so, yeah, the, as far as the game bags, they work really, really good. Uh, we have a full set that does a whole elk and just like caribou hunting the other day, you know, we just took two quarter bags and you could put the whole caribou in two quarter bags as well, you know. So it, sure. it's 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 multi-use. They're just they're just game bags at the end of the day, but they're super easy to use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm we're super excited. We've been we've been trying to kill an elk. Blake's been trying to kill an elk now for like six years. And he, you know, he's had the six point curse. Like every bull that we've called in is five or less. So we're changing areas. We're going to go up where the uh, better, little better chats, three point or better. And uh, those game bags are going to be used, man. We're going to get them yes. bloody this year. That's the plan. He's earned it. So, Absolutely. What about, what about the calls? Like I know uh, it's, it's both elk and waterfall now, waterfall. Yeah. Now, so, right? 
so we teamed up um cody actually his he's waterfowl hunted all his life and then we teamed up also with a guy named eric strand who's a uh, champion mm-hmm. waterfowl caller and and uh big in the industry and um so yeah they we make all sorts of duck goose all sorts of cackler i, I don't know a ton about that side of the uh, the thing but we everybody says that we make the best calls in in, in the market nice. so yeah so, so are you um, are help, you manufacturing Sorry, are you manufacturing in Roseburg then or in, in the States or, or like how? So, you yeah. So we have all our barrels and stuff like that turned in um, in Washington um, is mm-hmm. where we have all our barrels for our duck goose and all that line um, done. And then like my dad, he makes all of our elk reeds. So he actually mm-hmm. does those. That's that's what dad does. It's like he makes elk reeds for hours and hours and hours. And yeah. so. But quality controls main thing in that and um and he does a great job and so mm-hmm. that's really cool to kind of keep that in house as well so yeah a lot of the stuff we do right right here you know right here yeah that's awesome oh that's very cool so we are we're winding down um a couple of questions for you two two questions and then we're going to cut you loose i know you want to get some sleep oh um, you're fine what, what advice can you give new elk hunters? One piece of mm. Trent wisdom. What would you give them? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the smartest guy to do all this, but uh, uh, my my biggest thing for elk hunting and and what is the average like seven years or something? Elk hunters usually go seven years in between shooting elk of something that nature. And and mm-hmm. honestly, if you stick with it and you stay at it, you can you can you can shorten that gap by a lot. So just sticking with it and learning the animals, just go out there anytime you can be in the elk woods, be in the elk woods and learn those behaviors and learn that. And then on top of that, it's the big cherry is just keep a positive mindset. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's been so many hunts that I've been on. I haven't seen an animal in five days. I haven't heard a bugle in two weeks. I haven't, whatever it may be. And in five minutes from that period of thinking that, you have a beautiful bull on the ground dead. You know, so mm-hmm. I, it just, you have to stay positive, have to keep that, that, that mind always going. It just takes one more, just one more, mm-hmm. just one more. So. Yeah, that's that's the tagline. Your tagline from I don't know if it was from uh, one of the land of the freeze or what, but it it, yeah. it only takes one. It only and takes I, one. Yeah, it's yeah. written on all most of our calls. It's written on uh, it's yeah. written on our packs. It's it only does take one. Man. That's awesome. All right, last question for you. Same same thing. Only, what advice can you offer? entrepreneurs that want to take their idea to the next level because i mean you guys did this right you were all i mean all young families you put all your chips in and quit your jobs like talk about that for a second we talked about risk a little bit earlier and that definitely plays into this whole thing but i think even more important than risk is um sticking with it staying the course uh, you hear that a lot. It's like stay the course. It's 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 going and and taking an idea and fleshing that idea out and getting it down to the bone and being like, okay, this is what we need to do, and then doing it. And it's capitalizing on that. 
with social media right now, um, I, I have the uh, privilege to mentor a couple different social media groups right now and be able to, you know, jump on calls with them and talk with them. And um, a lot of it is, Trent, why is it not working? Why is it not being faster? I said, well, how much did you grow this week? Well, we grew such and such. That's a win. That's a W, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it just anybody that says, well, you can have that viral content or something of that nature, but is that the channel that you want? Is that the road that you want to go down? Or do you want to build this organic content and this tribe of people that trust you and, and trust everything you're doing? So I, that, that would be my biggest uh, piece of advice is just stick with it. And, and you may not see it now, but you may see it three years from now. It's it, mm -hmm. it's literally could be that long before you start to see exponential growth, and then there's times that it'll really ramp up from there once you get the ball rolling. But it just it takes time. Like we had to build a library of a uh, hundred movies, a hundred and the hours that it took in order to do and shoot mm -hmm. all those things. I mean, our library was super deep before we before we even caught on. So I mean it, it just it takes time and dedication and and if that's something that you want to do, that's what the thing uh the invention of this internet thing is it's it, there's bad to it too. Uh, but at the same time mm -hmm. as anybody can do whatever they want. You could be a you get there, you right? could be a professional sewer or knitter you could be anything you want to be right now from the confines of your own home honestly so it makes it pretty yeah. pretty dang awesome well that's awesome i mean that you know that statement and advice um it really has a profound impact on what blake and i are trying to do here like selfishly yeah it's it's father and son starting up a night you know taking an idea from you know ground zero and building it and we started in april and um you know we've had we've had steady growth um it hasn't been like off the charts as far as numbers but we're engaging a community uh we're we're trying to gain and build trust with our with our members we're trying to give them what they ask for and you know there's there's challenges you you touched on it right like maybe it's not it's not super fast in some months but we did start this in the spring and and we're pushing it through the summer and uh brandon just he just popped up right there. He just said, made the statement, which is something that that I've preached all the way through, and I've been on a few podcasts. It's quality over quantity, and you know we're starting to get some traction. And you know, being able to pick up the phone or send an email to someone like yourself, who's like just you know, like we we really idolize what you guys have done down there. And I can't thank you enough for for the support tonight and coming on here with our members. And uh, yeah, just profound Absolutely. stuff, Trent. Thank you. I would really appreciate yeah. it. No, I'm willing to so, help. I want to see everybody succeed, man. That's my goal. Well, we have, that's the one thing that another thing that we've said too is like we're all we're all trying to head the same direction to get to the same yeah. place, right? Like the hunting conservation space uh, is so undermanned when it comes to what we what we're competing for in this you know in the world is really you know just a positive outlook on hunting and conservation and try to show the meaning of why we do this. And the anti-hunters are armed and dangerous. They've got so much money behind them. They want to put us all out of business. So anyway, that's a whole nother podcast, Trent. Maybe sure. we'll get you back on for, uh, for another one here soon, but anyway, Perfect. brother, thank you so much. Um, 
keep your phone on in hunting season because I'm going to text you a picture of this young married man with his dead bull. Yes, you will. I, I expect that. I expect that. Definitely. Definitely. And thank you guys so much for this opportunity, guys. It's uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. And yeah, like the other thing, it's tide. Tide raises all ships. You know what I mean? So you got it. Totally. Let's all it. work together. Let's all work together at this. All right. Safe hunting, everybody. Let's see the pics. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Trent. Thanks, Trent. Thank you, guys. See you, right. Good night, guys. Right on, buddy.